want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning and let's begin in a word of prayer. God, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. God, we thank you so much for the, the truth of those words, God, whether we're going through an amazing time of life in green pastures or a difficult time of life in a low valley. God, if we follow you, you're there with us. God, I pray that you will use me this morning to speak your word. Not my words, but your word, God. I pray that you will, anything that I have to say here, God, that, that isn't from you or is not important to you, God, I pray that you'll help me not to say that. And the things that are important, the things that you want these people to hear this morning, you want our hearts to take in, I pray that you'll use me to speak those. We give this time to you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your stories that still speak to us today. God, be with us now as we journey through your word together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you. All right. 1045 service. Some of y'all need to go to the 9 o'clock service. We can get that kind of response then. Hey, my name is Joe, Pastor Joe. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Community Alliance Church. And uh, this morning I have the real privilege of being with you today to look at God's Word and to learn a little bit about what He wants to say into our lives today. If you've been coming here uh, over the past couple months, you'll know that we have been in a sermon series called The Old Testament Still Speaks Today. And the Old Testament is what we call the first part of our Bible. It's really, in most Bibles, about the first two-thirds of the pages. And the Old Testament in our Bibles tells the story of what God did in humankind before the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're calling this series, The Old Testament Still Speaks Today. Because we believe that even though the words that you might read in your Bible in the Old Testament are over 2,500 years old, we believe that they still have relevance for our lives today in July of 2017. Because it's not just the stories and the characters in God's Word that speak to us. We believe that it is God Himself, the central character to the story of the Bible, who speaks to our lives through what He did in the lives of people then, telling us what He wants to do in our lives today. And this morning, we're going to look at how God can speak to us through the life of a character in the Old Testament named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, if you came in this morning and you received one of these uh, bulletins, you might notice that there is a bulletin insert in there that is blue. You want to pull that out, you can, that'll help you to follow along. And uh, just one are we going to put it on the back screen as well, fellas? Just want to ask for that. If you have your Bible or your insert, you can pull it out. Hezekiah is the character we're going to be studying today. And uh, there is a number of Bible passages on the back or on the top of that. Hezekiah's story takes place uh, throughout many chapters in several different books of the Bible. Just because of time, we're not going to have enough time to go through everything that happened in Hezekiah's life. I put that there for you so that later on this week, you can spend some time reading about him and learning more about him than we're able to cover today. Now, Hezekiah. You may have heard of Hezekiah before. In fact, you might have heard of him in a different way than, than what he really is. In fact, if Hezekiah was in a high school yearbook, he would have easily been voted the person to most easily have his name mistaken for a book of the Bible. Hezekiah is not a book in your Bible. If you want to mess with your kids later on, mess with them and ask them to find Hezekiah and look up something there. Hezekiah was a king in the Old Testament, the king of Judah. And what we're going to see in Hezekiah's story today is that God speaks to us through the Old Testament a simple but life-changing message. And what we're going to see in Hezekiah is this, is that God works in us when we obey and trust in him. God works in us when we obey and trust in him. 
When we place our obedience and our trust in God's hands, he is able to do a work in our lives. And in our time together today, we're going to flesh that out. I want to dive in this way. I love historical movies. Probably my favorite type of movie to watch is a historical movie, something that might be fiction but takes place at, at a real time in history. And at the beginning of most historical movies, there's sort of like a black screen that'll come up and then text that'll tell a little bit of a narrative about what is going on behind the story that you're about to see. And the purpose of that is to help you as the viewer better understand what you're about to watch. It gives some context and some background. And so this morning, I kind of want to do what I call a pre-narrative or that movie text that comes up beforehand. Before we dive into Hezekiah completely, I want to look a little bit at, at what's going on in the life around him. So I'm going to do something, and I don't want to freak you out. You're not back in high school geography, I promise, but we are going to put a map on the screen. So just relax. It's okay. This is supposed to happen. Now, in your Bible, in the Old Testament, you probably have heard this name Israel. Israel was God's people. It started way back when it, with, with Jacob, and then we've been looking at the story of Moses. Well, eventually, the people of Israel became the nation of Israel. And under the leadership of King Saul, David, and Solomon, Israel existed as one nation. Shortly after King Solomon died, though, Israel divided into two nations. They had some internal problems, and they became a northern kingdom of Israel, and then a southern kingdom of Judah. And this is why sometimes when you're reading through the books of like the Kings and Chronicles, it could be a little bit confusing. What you need to realize is that it's actually now speaking of two kingdoms. And these kingdoms, for over 200 years before Hezekiah came to become a king, they were plagued by all kinds of problems. There were mostly bad kings in charge. There were a lot of wars, civil wars, assassinations, uh, famines, all kinds of craziness happened in the 200 years before Hezekiah. Even so much to the point when Hezekiah becomes king of this smaller country called Judah, at that time, a world power called Assyria was coming in and conquering Israel once and for all, basically erasing it from the map at that time. Hezekiah walks into this mess. Things on Hezekiah's side of the border were not much better. His father Ahaz had just died. That's how you became king then, if someone had to die. Ahaz died, and, and Hezekiah probably wasn't that sad because Ahaz was not a good father. He was not a good king. Ahaz only kept Assyria from coming down into Judah by paying them off with money that he robbed from God's temple. Ahaz was a terrible father. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3 tells us this. says that Ahaz even sacrificed his sons in the fire following the detestable ways of the nations of the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. For Hezekiah, what this means is that there was a period of time growing up when he had a little brother. Now, some of you might like to get rid of your little brother at times. But he had this little brother that he probably fought with, ate with, played with, got into trouble with. And then one day, his father takes his little brother off to a religious ceremony, and he never sees his little brother again. That's, a, or that's Hezekiah's family life. And so it's into this, this kind of culture of, of a, just a messed up family and military turmoil and an immoral, spiritually decaying culture all around that Hezekiah, we are told in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, 
in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, remember that northern kingdom, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. What were you doing when you were 25 years old? Thank goodness I wasn't king. Hezekiah probably realized, though, pretty quickly that being king did have some perks that not being king didn't have. Hezekiah, now that he was king, he could do whatever he wanted inside the borders of his country of Judah. So I would imagine he may have done things like have ice cream for breakfast and for supper. Maybe he even walked across the carpet with his shoes on. If I was king, I know that probably the first thing I would have done was I would have left the front door to the house open with the air conditioner running. But Hezekiah probably realized that being king was more than that. Now that he was king, he had the power to choose. He had the power to choose whether his kingdom and he would obey God or whether they would continue in the pattern of disobedience that he had inherited. We're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 31 that this is what Hezekiah chose. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. 2 Kings 18 puts it this way, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Hezekiah realized that now he was responsible. It was up to him to decide whether they would obey or not obey. And Hezekiah obeyed God. In your life, you might not be a king. You're probably like me. The closest you're ever going to become to being king is putting on the cardboard crown at Burger King. I've done that. It feels good. Probably not as good as actually being the king. But there are areas of your life where you can choose what you will do. And Hezekiah realized that it was up to him to choose. It wasn't his daddy Ahaz who was going to choose for him. It wasn't the immoral cultures around him that were going to choose for him. He had to choose whether he would obey or not. Because I've been sitting in your seat, and we're going to talk about obedience this morning. And when it comes to obedience, if you're anything like me, you can start to think about your excuses. I call them the yeah buts. In my head, I might hear the yeah but my family. Yeah but my wife. Yeah but my boss. And this morning, I want to cut it off at the pass and say, you've got to tell your yeah buts to shut up. They can say shut up in church. Because, and this is on your outline, but we took it out of the slides. I didn't know if we'd get there or not, but we're going to do it. Because focusing on the choices you can't make prevents you from making the choices you can. This morning, I just want you to realize that focusing on the choices I can make, I can't make, prevent me from making the choices I can. And so Hezekiah, he decided he was going to obey he had every reason not to, a terrible father, a moral culture all around him, but he said, I'm going to obey God. And so he climbed up on the walls of his kingdom, and he took a look around. He began to look at what was happening. And he saw a lot that was happening that God said, don't do. 
So Hezekiah obeyed God first by dealing with the don'ts that needed don'ting. He dealt with the don'ts that needed don'ting. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 tells us this. 18.4 says, He removed the high places. 2 Chronicles puts it this way. He said, He destroyed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. High places and sacred stones and Asherah poles were things that their culture had put up. They had built in order to worship them instead of worshiping God. Do you realize our culture builds things that we worship instead of worshiping God? It takes about 10 minutes of watching TV to realize the things that our culture worships. We've built things all around us. What in your life do you worship instead of worshiping God? Is it a habit? A hobby? A person? A career? Your job? Hezekiah removed those things. And then he did this. It says, he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Way back in, in, in the first five books of the Bible, I think it's in Exodus or Numbers, Moses had, had built this bronze snake, and it was part of a miracle that God had worked. But over time, the people had taken something that was good that God had instructed them to do. And it twisted and perverted into something evil. Do you realize there's things in your life that God has made that are good, but we can take them and twist and turn them into things that are evil? Things like work. We can take our work and twist it and turn it into something that's not honoring to God, something that's obsessive to us. Sex. God created sex. It's like one of the first things that happens in the Bible in Genesis. But we can take it and we can pervert it into something that God never intended it to be. Money. Power. It's one of the ways we disobey God is by taking things he's made good and twisting them into evil. So what did Hezekiah do? The Bible says he destroyed. He smashed. He broke. I love the language here. It makes me think of a couple weeks ago whenever we went down to the fishbone project that we're doing down here in Butler. I am, I, I'm not a contractor. I have a limited set of skills. So they picked a job that was just perfect for me. We walked into a room and there were boards up in the ceiling. And they said, well, this is what we need you to do. We don't need you to make them look any better. We need you to break them all. And it was awesome. And you know what they did for us whenever it was time to break stuff? They brought out sledgehammers and sawzaws. They said, your job is to get these boards out of this ceiling. It was awesome. You know, I, I know sometimes people pay like a lot of money for therapy. If you don't have money for therapy, you should just get some sledgehammers and break stuff. It was great. Best time. So we're like up there and we're smashing stuff and nails are flying and boards are flying. And we're ducking and sorry, honey, I was doing that. It wasn't very safe, but it was so much fun. And we were doing all of this stuff and it dawned on me like Hezekiah took that approach to the sin that he saw in his kingdom. What would happen in your life if you took that approach to the sin that you see in your life? Instead of just kind of pushing on and saying, I hope it gets better. Instead of kind of touching it up with pain and saying, I hope it looks better. What if you said, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to get rid of this? If you climbed up on the walls of your kingdom and looked around, what would you see? 
Maybe you wouldn't see an Asher, a pole, or a bronze snake, but you might see a habit or a weakness that it's time today to admit that it's not just that. It's disobedience to God. What lie or deception are you living in that it's time to break out of? What secret sin or addiction are you struggling with that for so long you've been saying, oh, it should get better if I just keep trying a little bit harder? Today's a day to get out of sledgehammer and to break out of that. Hezekiah was obedient to God because he dealt with the don'ts that needed don'ting. But obedience is more than just not doing the things you shouldn't do. Obedience is also doing the things that God's called you to do. And so Hezekiah was obedient because he also did the do's that needed doing. He did the do's that needed doing. In 2 Chronicles, we see a a long tale of of everything he did. We don't have time to go through that today, but I've kind of summarized it. One of the first things he did was repair and purify the temple. He saw that there was a place of worship that was in disrepair and it wasn't usable. And Hezekiah said, worshiping God and hearing his word taught is so important. Whatever we got to do, we got to make it happen. So they repaired the temple. In your life is worship and hearing the word of God so important that you'll do whatever you got to do to make it happen for you on a weekly basis. I know you're here today, but is this being here regularly a priority? Or will you allow other things to come in front of it? And pick up your toes. Because they might get stepped on right now. Practices. Is soccer practice more important than having your kid here at church to worship and learn about God? Sleep. It might mean coming home a little earlier on a Saturday night so be awake enough on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. What in your life stands in the way from you making worship a priority? Hezekiah also restored proper sacrifices. He said, if we're going to obey God, it's got to look like us giving up some things that matter to us because God matters most. And here's what happens. I've seen it all the time in people's lives. Is that God will call you to something. And guess what? I can promise you whenever God calls you to something, almost right after there's going to be something that's going to, you're going to have to give up. Something that will stand in your way. And what most people do is they'll say, you know what, I would do that, but if. If I didn't have this already, then I would. And Hezekiah said, if you're going to be obedient to God, if we're going to be obedient to God, we've got to be ready to sacrifice for him. What have you allowed to stand in your way of being obedient to God, of serving him in the way he's called you to serve him? Hezekiah also, he also restarted or reconvened the celebration of the Passover. Basically what that meant was, he said, look, there's some work that God has done in our history that the people of God need to come together and be around each other to celebrate. Hezekiah realized that obedience to God was also having God's community gathered. Having the lives of others together in your life focused on what God wants to do. Do you have Christian brothers and sisters in your life? Do you have those relationships around you to share in God's story? If you're going to be obedient to God, that community matters. And finally, Hezekiah replenished the temple resources. He realized that in order to accomplish God's work, they needed resources. So he modeled the way by giving up what he had 
And the people followed by giving up what they had to accomplish God's work. Both their money and their time, they were generous. They were obedient in their generosity. How is God calling you to be obedient today? If you got up on the walls of your kingdom and you looked around, what aren't you doing that God is calling you to do in order to obey him? Hezekiah obeyed God because he dealt with the don'ts that needed don'ting, and he did the do's that needed doing. But obedience wasn't all that God needed from him. See, I don't want to be unclear this morning, so please understand me. Our obedience isn't like some kind of a currency with which we hire God to work for us. It's not like if we go and obey God, it's kind of like we've earned up some coin with him, and we can call in that favor, and then God will take care of a problem for us. Our obedience isn't a currency with which we hire God to work for us. Our obedience is a tool in God's hands for him to work in us. And it takes more than just our obedience. It also takes our trust in God. See, Hezekiah, Hezekiah trusted God. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. The Bible tells us that Hezekiah trusted God. He was the best at it that there was. Which might sound like a good thing, but upon further review, trust, being the best at trusting God is kind of like being the only person to ever survive going over Niagara Falls. Like The recognition is really great, but the trip is terrifying. And Hezekiah earned this recognition through a terrifying trip that we're going to see. What happened next? The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 32 that after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, goes through this whole list of everything he did, it was great. He was so faithful to God, the best ever at trusting God. Could you just, like, if you were Hezekiah, I was thinking about this. What would I, like, I would feel like God would owe me something, maybe, because I had done all this stuff for him. Could you imagine, like, Hezekiah up in his room, and he's praying, and he's saying, God, you know, thank you for helping me to trust you. Thank you for everything I've gotten done for you. You know, I feel like, I, I feel like it's gone pretty well. And he's like, all right, I'll be honest, God. Like, I get it. I, I just be a little, I'm the best. Like, you said it. I read your Bible. It's, I'm the best. God. So after everything I've done for you, Lord, could you do something for me? How about if you name a book of the Bible after me? Okay, no? Okay, not going to happen. Would have made things a lot easier for a lot of people later on if you just did that. All right, all right, Solomon. Solomon. Like, he prayed for wisdom, and then, and then you gave him wisdom and wealth and fame and a long life. Like, if the Solomon package works for you, Lord, like, I... That's good for me. That'll, that'll be enough. And Hezekiah's probably just thinking about everything he had done. Then maybe he gets a knock on the door, like knock, 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 knock. And a, uh, and a servant comes in and says, King Hezekiah, you've got to come see this. And Hezekiah's like, oh boy, I'm so excited. God's going to answer my prayer. He climbs up on his, his wall again. And he looks, <laughs> thinking he's going to see something he wants to see. He looks and he sees this. After all that he had faithfully done for the Lord, Sennacherib. The king of Assyria came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. After all that he had faithfully done, this is what happened to Hezekiah. 
It's stories like this that convince me that the Bible is true. And not just a bunch of false made-up stories. Because if your goal was to write a bunch of fake stories to convince people to follow God, there's no way on earth, after everything Hezekiah went through, that you would tell people that this is what God was going to do to him. And we can't understand, really, 3,000 years later, what this meant to Hezekiah. The fear and the trouble it would have put into his heart. Assyria was like one of the first great world powers. And they were known for one thing and one thing only throughout the Middle Eastern world. And that was for ruthlessness. When they conquered people, they didn't just defeat them. They made them suffer. Maybe, maybe the best way for you to see kind of what might have been racing through Hezekiah's mind when he saw this problem laying in front of him was to just tell you what one of the kings of Assyria himself wrote. So a few hundred years before Hezekiah, King Asher Paul wrote this. And what's even more terrifying than his name is what he said. Look what he writes. He said, I captured many troops alive. That's not so bad, right? Well, I captured them alive so that I could cut off some of their arms and their hands. Then I cut off their noses, their ears, and other extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one of the heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. This is what Hezekiah was facing. I put this on the screen because... I sometimes think that my problems are really bad. Like, like, I, like, they're worse than everybody else's. In fact, like nobody in history has ever had a problem like I'm facing right now. And I just want you to know, when you read your Bible and you're, you're working through the stories of these characters, they face very, very real, very, very big problems. And this is what Hezekiah was learning. This is what we need to learn in our lives is this is that obedience and trust may not lead to peace and prosperity. Obedience and trust may not make your life more convenient, comfortable, or easy, but they will lead you to trust. Because when obedience and trust lead you to a place that's hard and difficult, it takes trust that obeying God still is the best thing. If you're a Christian and you've ever tried to apply what you've read in these words, then, then you know this, right? Obeying God's not easy. I'm sorry for people who've preached messages uh, and, and told you that if you just obey God, your life will be perfect. Like, you'll have enough money. You'll always, you know, nothing bad will happen to you. You'll be healthy. That's not what the Bible says. And there's Christians who've lived throughout history at times like Nazi Germany or even in places like North Korea today, they would also argue that obedience doesn't lead to comfort, but it does lead to trust. I mean, think about it. What's the Bible say? The Bible says, okay, if you're going to obey God, then you need to wait until you're married to somebody to have sex with them. In a culture like ours, that's completely foreign. And it takes trust that following God's guidelines for sexual purity or best. It takes trust believing that that will lead you to have a better marriage one day. It takes trust in God to obey him in forgiving those who have hurt you. Because when someone's hurt you, you want payback. But obeying him means that you forgive. And it's trust and you have to trust God that forgiveness is the path to healing. It takes 
trust to believe that when you obey God and tell the truth and are honest, it takes trust that walking with him through the difficulty of the truth is better than running from him to the convenience of a lie. Obedience to God means calling time out on your busy schedule regularly to spend time with God. And that takes a lot of trust when you have a to-do list and a phone that's dinging and kids that need taken places and many, many other things demanding your time. It takes real trust to trust him that that's the best way to spend your time. It takes obedience to give some of your financial resources to God for his work, for his ministry. And when you have a car payment that's coming and a mortgage that's coming in the mail and other bills coming, it takes trust in God that he's going to provide for your needs. Obedience. Obedience does not lead to peace and prosperity, but it will lead you to trust. We're going to fast forward a little bit to 2 Kings chapter 19. What takes place after... Hezekiah sees the Assyrian army out in front of him. Is, uh, is next, there's sort of like an exchange of ancient trash talk. If you think football players today can trash talk, you need to write what the, read what these Assyrians wrote about eating poo and drinking urine. It was, it was crazy stuff. You've got to read it later on. It's awesome. It all kind of culminates. Now you're all going to be looking in the Bible to see where it says that. Okay. It all kind of culminates in this letter that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends to Hezekiah. It's sort of like his last threat. It's kind of like... You know, before I huff and puff and blow the walls down, if you do this, you'll get out of it, okay? And if you don't do this, this is how bad it's going to be. And Sennacher writes Hezekiah this letter, and he says, don't, Do not depend. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, like the pals of heads, the arms without hands, the cut-off noses. Hezekiah, that's waiting for you if you depend on the wrong thing. It says, will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? Hezekiah gets this letter, and Sennacherib's message is clear. I, your big problem, the king of Assyria, I am bigger than your God. And in your life, you've gotten these letters. It might not be an email or a physical paper letter, but you've gotten Sennacherib letters. It was that time you went to the doctor for a routine visit that wasn't routine after all. When your boss called you into her office. When that family member said, we need to talk. That little depression that lasted for a couple weeks that you thought you would get over quickly, that just continued on and on. We've all had those problems in our lives that are like Sennacherib letters. And just like the letter that Hezekiah read, the Sennacherib letters in our lives look at us and they ask us one big question. Do you trust that your God is bigger than me? Do you trust that your God is bigger than me? If you have your Bible, if you have a mobile device, you need to underline or highlight what you read next, what Hezekiah's response is, because whether you're facing a Sennacherib letter now or later on in your life, you're going to need this verse. This is the response 
to those giant problems in our lives. Look what Hezekiah did. The Bible says that Hezekiah received the letter and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and then he spread it out before the Lord. Took it out of his hands. Gave it to God. You ever wonder where the Bible says to give your problems to God? 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah. He took that letter and he laid it before God. He literally and figuratively transferred his problem to God. He gave God his obedience. He gave God his trust. And now he was giving him his trial because he knew that by obeying and trusting God, he made his trial God's opportunity to work. In your life, obeying and trusting God makes your trial his opportunity to work. Do you realize that Sennacherib letter in your life is God's opportunity to work? Maybe God brought you here today just to hear this. Because in your life, you've been kind of taking some letter, some problem, some anxiety, some stress, and you've been clinging to it. And you've been carrying it, and that burden's weighing you down. And today's the day to say, okay, I'm going to, do, I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to lay it at your feet. God, there's, there's my trial. I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to trust you, and I want to see you work. And then Hezekiah prayed, and he said this. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God. Over all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Don't miss what he says here. Why does he want them to deliver? Why does he want God to deliver them? So that all the kingdoms of the earth, Assyria, Judah, and everyone else, will know that you, God, you alone, Lord, are God. Don't miss this transformation that had taken place inside of Hezekiah. In saying this, Hezekiah is showing that he's asking for deliverance, not so much that they will be relieved from possible pain and suffering. He's asking for deliverance so that the people, so that he, the people of Judah and the whole of the world will know that God is who he says he is. God had worked inside of him. He obeyed and trusted God, and God did a work in him. He changed his mindset so that he wasn't focused on what was best for him, but he was focused now on what was best for God. God worked inside Hezekiah because Hezekiah obeyed and trusted God. God did a work in him because God works in us when we obey and trust in him. God works in you when you obey and trust in him. Let's jump ahead to the end of the story. I want to show you what happens, and then we'll wrap up. The Bible says this, That very night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, 
There were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, withdrew. He took his pens and his papers. He wouldn't be writing any more letters there. And he returned to Nineveh and stayed there. In this situation, God decided to work outside of Hezekiah as well as inside of Hezekiah. It would be great for us pastors if God always promised in his word that he would come in and slay all of our problems just like this. It would make preaching so much easier. Truth is that God doesn't promise to always come in and slay all of the problems outside of us. But remember the transformation that had taken place inside of Hezekiah? God does promise that when you obey and trust him, he will work inside of you. Because God works inside you when you obey and trust in him. Because here, here's the thing. God cares more about inside of you and your relationship with him and your obedience and trust in him than he does about the problems out around you. And he sometimes uses those problems to lead you into a place of obedience and trust. At times he slays them and at times he doesn't, but the most important thing is the relationship that he has with you. So I want to close with a question for you. If Hezekiah climbed up on the walls of your life, what would he see? What would he see? Is he looking around your kingdom, all that place where you have the power to choose, what would he see? Would he see some Asherah poles, some things in your life that you're really giving your worship, your time, your focus, your attention to instead of God? Would he see some bronze snakes, some things in your life that God created that were good, but you're using for not good purposes that you've twisted and perverted into sin? Maybe he would see in your hands a problem, a struggle, a trial, a sickness, a difficulty that you're just clinging to. And you've balled it up and you're hanging on to it and you won't let go. Now here's the more important question. Then what would he see? What would he do? If he was in charge of your life, what would he do? Would he get out that sledgehammer and would he start breaking stuff down? Would he look in your life and see things that you're not doing that will lead you into a walk with God and say, we've got to rebuild that. We've got to restore that. We've got to get that started again. Because where you're going, you're going nowhere. Your spiritual look, life looks like rigor mortis is set in. We've got to bring it alive again. You need to be part of worship. You need to be part of a Christian community. You need to be generous. You need to give up and sacrifice so that I can use you. Would he take that trial in your life that you're clinging to and he would uncrumble it, take it out of your hand, and go before God and lay it there and say, give that problem to God and allow him to work in you through it. What would Hezekiah do in your life? Why don't you do it? If he would do it, why wouldn't you? I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then Brad's going to sing a few more choruses or words to the song that we were singing before, uh, during offering. So here's what I want you to do. 
You're, you'll be dismissed after I say amen. But if you would like prayer, if you just need to talk to God about some stuff, I want to invite you to come forward after while he plays. We've got some people that would love to pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself, you can say, I'm good. I, don't, I just want to pray by myself. That's okay. But I want you to know, like, up here is open. We want to talk to you. We want to serve you. We want to pray for you any way we can. Again, after I pray, you're dismissed. But if you would like prayer, come forward. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Thank you so much for Hezekiah. Thank you for the stand he took and the obedience he the beating decisions he made and the trust he had in you. He wasn't just another blip of kings in the, in the Bible who, who made bad decisions, but he's an example to us of what it means to obey and trust you. God, I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of people today. Speak to them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and show them what in their life they need to deal with. Father God, I pray that you will, you will work through us. God, I just so believe that if, if we as Christians, if we as your people began to do this in our life, it would make such a difference in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our community, in our world. So God, I pray that you'll help us to obey you and to trust you. And God, please work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you like prayer, come forward. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.